Howdy and welcome to Wise About Texas, your award-winning Texas history podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I want to lead today with a little uh, warning. It's allergy season here in Texas, which uh, only lasts for 12 months out of the year. So if I sound a little rough today, uh, that's the reason. Um, Today, we're going to continue our series on the Texas Rangers, and we're going to talk about one of the earliest Texas Rangers. My friend and great Texas historian, Dr. Richard McCaslin, who is at the University of North Texas, he divides the 200 years of the Texas Rangers into four basic periods. His first period is he calls the antebellum period from 1823 to 1861, which uh, alluding back to our last episode, episode 119 was mostly a military era where the Rangers performed as a military unit. The next period is the frontier battalion period from 1874 to 1902 during which uh, the rangers were fighting on the western frontier of texas protecting the settlements from indian raids they were doing some scouting etc which was also mostly a military function the third era dr mccaslin discusses is the ranger force which is 1902 to 1935 which i'll call quasi-military because though you had most of texas fairly settled and the rangers beginning to perform more of a recognizable to us at least law enforcement function uh, most of the time. You also had some very rough remote areas which were much more like the frontier and uh, even though they may have been performing a law enforcement function, the service that the, was necessary looked an awful like it a lot an awful lot like it did on the frontier quasi military. And the final era from Dr. Pacaslin is the, he refers to as the DPS era, which is from 1935 to now where the Rangers became an organization of law enforcement professionals. So today, we're going to go back to the original era, the antebellum era, and we're going to talk about uh, a very famous ranger with a very unique nickname, Matthew Old Paint Caldwell. So let's go back to before Texas independence and get wise about Texas. All right, we're celebrating the 200th anniversary of the Texas Rangers, and as I mentioned in episode 119, uh, we generally use the August letter, August 2023 letter, from Stephen F. Austin to a Mexican government official asking permission to raise a company of 10 Rangers to protect Austin's colony. So that permission was granted, and we consider that the start of the Texas Rangers. Now, um, That means that the Texas Rangers started as an arm of the Mexican government based on the old Mexican flying companies. And you can go back and listen to episode 119 where I talk about that. So you have um, a a Mexican governmental force uh, that we're referring to as the Texas Rangers. And one of those early Rangers was Matthew Caldwell. Um, now Caldwell didn't get the lingering fame that many others enjoyed because he never did. He didn't live all that long. He never did go into politics or become a military leader, but he showed up every time he was needed and he brought friends. He was a natural leader and it's too bad that he really didn't leave many documents behind and didn't have a ton of descendants because he was most certainly heroic. He was born in Kentucky 
1798, he moved to Missouri in 1818, and that's where he learned uh, to fight hostile Indians. But he also traded with the Indians, uh, which allowed him to learn and understand Indian culture. He settled in DeWitt's colony in Texas in 1831, receiving a league of land uh, southwest of present-day Hallettsville. Now, he didn't live on that land, but rather lived in the town of Gonzales, uh, the town closest to his grant, uh, which was the capital of DeWitt's colony. And early on, Caldwell got the nickname Old Paint. His beard was dark, but had white patches in it. And uh, there's a very famous memoirist of early Texas named Noah Smithwick. Smithwick's memoirs were published under the title, The Evolution of a State. Um, Now, I'll tell you, these memoirs were dictated when he was quite elderly. So uh, there are obvious uh, potential problems with his memory, but it's a great read, highly recommend it. And he described Caldwell in his book, and he described Caldwell as, quote, having a tanned complexion interspersed with patches of deathly white, close quote. So he may, in fact, have had uh, vitiligo, which uh, results in white patches on the skin, but uh, we'll never know. Um, In Gonzales, he was a commissioner of the town council as well as the Mexican governmental equivalent of the city attorney, which did not mean he was a lawyer. He was not, but that's the closest uh, office that we have to the function that it performed under the Mexican government. So he was a Mexican government official. And in his earliest days in Gonzales, there's really no records of him fighting, uh, but Gonzales was the western most settlement of the early Anglo Anglo settlements. So there's no question uh, that he probably did. Uh, We do know that he joined a posse after a Comanche raid near Gonzales in 1835, uh, riding at the front and being one of the first to kill the uh, raiders that they were pursuing. Then came the Battle of Gonzales, October 2nd, 1835, very made famous by the flag uh, waved by the settlers saying, come and take it. Um, the Battle of Gonzales uh, came about. The Mexican government had provided a cannon, a small cannon to the settlers around Gonzales for protection against Indians. And uh, the first thing that Santa Ana wanted to do as he became dictator and tried to gain control over the population was to take the guns. So he came to confiscate the cannon and uh, he sent about 100 troops under a colonel named Castaneda to confiscate it. Uh, the citizens buried the cannon, and Caldwell was sent out to gather volunteers to help. And so he rode around the western part of, of uh, what was to become Texas to try to raise uh, interest in volunteers for this situation. And... Uh, we know what happened on October 2nd. The citizens uh, started shooting at the Mexican soldiers that came for the cannon, uh, which drove them away. Uh, but Caldwell brought quite a few volunteers that he had talked into helping. And uh, for this, he became known as the Paul Revere of the Texas Revolution in some circles. And the Battle of Gonzales is often called the Lexington of Texas. Uh, Caldwell also participated in the siege and battle of Behar. Um, recall the siege of Behar was uh, in late 1835 after the Battle of Concepcion. Uh, discussed the Battle of Concepcion 
in episode three of Wise About Texas and discussed the Battle of Behar, uh, memory serves, episode seven. So you had the Battle of Concepcion, the Texas uh, militia marched and, and lay siege to Behar, Behar under the command of Edward Burleson. As winter came, Burleson wanted to break camp, and this is the famous story of Ben Milam, who shouted, who will follow old Ben Milam into Behar, rallying the troops to attack the city, uh, house-to-house fighting, and uh, the Texas revolutionaries captured uh, the Battle of Behar. Uh, Also during this time, uh, Caldwell served as what is described as a subcontractor to uh, provision the army, which he did very successfully. After the Battle of Behar, we're now into early 1836, and there was a lot of confusion uh, with the government. There were various consultations, etc. It was really chaotic. Uh, finally, a convention was to convene at Washington on the Brazos on March the 1st, 1836, and Caldwell was one of the citizens that the area around Gonzales elected to represent them at that convention. So he was at Washington on the Brazos uh, on March the 1st and uh, signed the Declaration of Independence. He also signed the Provisional Constitution. So by this point, you've got uh, Matthew Caldwell within five years of his arrival in Texas has proven himself on the battlefield. He's proven himself able to recruit individuals. He was trusted well enough um, to be entrusted with the provision of the army. Uh, He was also elected by his fellow citizens to a political convention at Washington on the Brazos. So he has proven himself one of the leading citizens. And after he put his name on the um, Declaration of Independence and Constitution, he was asked to be the person to go quickly assess and report back to the convention on the condition of the Texian army and the situation with the Mexican army, which he did. Actually, I misspoke. That occurred before the Constitution was signed. Uh, So within two weeks, Caldwell had gone and executed a mission uh, to assess both armies. Now, we don't have really good records of Caldwell's service in the army. Uh, We do know he was not at the Battle of San Jacinto, In early 1837, after Texas independence, he was in Washington County, having sold some of his original land grant. And there's a story from Washington County where uh, one of the Baptist pioneers in Texas, Z.N. Morrill, was uh, having a revival along with several other preachers. And this is sort of a story about how rough your typical uh, Texas town was. There were some hecklers hanging around drinking and mocking the preachers, and then the preachers would leave the building at the end of the day, and these drunks would attack them. So uh, Old Paint reportedly led a group of citizens that instructed the drunks that his family was present, other families were present, and they would cease their conduct immediately. And they did um, when Caldwell told them to. Uh, Caldwell then convened a meeting of the citizens uh, and all voted to participate in preventing that sort of conduct in the future. So again, Caldwell is already recognized as a leader, not just in fighting, but also in the community. Um, Caldwell returned to Gonzales and took a position as a leader of a company of Rangers. Uh, at what at one point um, he was out scouting, he encountered some Mexican troops below the Nueces river, which is uh, quite a distance from Gonzales um, and there were some Cherokee Indians with him. Now, Caldwell didn't fully appreciate what this may have meant, uh, but he would later. 
in mid-1838, uh, Caldwell and some other men bought some land on the Guadalupe River, and he started to sell town lots, his first customers being some of his rangers, and that town would eventually become Seguin, Texas. Um, Maribou Lamar, when he was president of the Republic, appointed Caldwell to raise a company of rangers in 1839. Um, he did so, and they soon saw action. Um, remember the mix of Mexican Army and Cherokee Indians Caldwell had encountered south of the Nueces? Well, that might have been the early stages of what would become known as the Cordova Rebellion, and that deserves its own episode. But briefly, Vicente Cordova was a Tejano that was uh, from the Nacogdoches area, remained loyal to Mexico during the Revolution, and organized a large group of Tejanos and Cherokees to rise up against the fledgling Republic of Texas. Um, he was seeking instructions in Matamoros, uh, was spotted camping outside of Austin. Edward Burleson uh, was leading a group that attacked the camp, um, sending Cordova into the river bottoms. Caldwell and his men joined this chase, uh, but ultimately had to quit for lack of provisions and return home. But Cordova was run out of Texas. Um, that would lead Lamar, uh, among other things, to seek to expel the Cherokee from Texas. And, of course, Lamar was very, very uh, anti-Indian, totally opposite of Sam Houston, who wanted to work with uh, Indians, the ones that were not hostile. Um, so there were other issues there, but uh, documents would later prove that that, uh, that rebellion was, in fact, real. Um Caldwell was not done participating in significant uh, events in Texas history. He was present at the Council House fight. Um, the Council House fight occurred in 1840 in San Antonio. There was a group of, uh, now remember, Caldwell in Missouri had been an Indian trader as well as an Indian fighter. So he would have been one that they that the people of the time would have consulted when seeking assistance and dealing with, in this case, the Comanches. Well, the Comanches had been raiding and taking captives in early Texas, and um, it was decided that the Comanches would be invited to San Antonio to make a treaty. And part of the condition was that they would bring all of the captives that they had into San Antonio and um, bring them back. And when they did so, a peace treaty would be negotiated. The Texians, based on uh, past events, did not trust this to go flawlessly, so there were uh, members of the Texas Army there to make sure that uh, this went the way it was supposed to go. But there was also a fundamental misunderstanding, and this really uh, would remain throughout uh, Indian-Texas relations, a misunderstanding of the structure of Comanche society. It was not one nation, as we're tempted to think about it. Uh, the Comanches were a series of autonomous bands who had authority uh, only within their band and then even pretty limited when it came to warriors. And, of course, the English-slash-American-slash-Texan uh, system contemplated negotiating a treaty once and for all with the entire uh, group. So that was destined to fail, and, of course, fail it did, and spectacularly. The Comanches came into town. Uh, they... As the Texans anticipated, they brought one captive, Matilda Lockhart, um, who proceeded to tell, uh, outside the council house, tell people there were other captives in the camp, and the Indians' intention was 
to bring them in one at a time and try to get a higher price inside the council house. The chiefs gathered, some Texans gathered, and uh, they said, "Where are all the captives?" And the the spokesman, a chief named Mukwara, said, "Well, there's only one. We only have one," uh, which of course was not true. And um, there was an uncomfortable silence, and apparently. McQuarra couldn't stand it anymore and spoke up and said, how do you like the answer? Uh, McQuarra was advised that uh, the chiefs would remain in the custody of the Texans until all the uh, captives were brought in, which was, of course, unacceptable, and a general melee followed within the council house. You can imagine the black powder weapons being fired inside and what chaos that must have been. Well, Caldwell uh, was in there. Um and reportedly, an, an Indian got a gun. Caldwell was unarmed. He grabbed a gun that an Indian had taken, shot the Indian with the gun that he grabbed, and then proceeded to kill another one by swinging the gun at him, breaking it in half, uh, at which point it's also reported that Caldwell started picking up rocks and fighting with those. He was shot during the uh, incident, shot in the leg uh, by friendly fire, no doubt, uh, but survived and continued uh, to fight in subsequent events. And I say subsequent events. The Council House fight uh, begat what was and and will always be the largest single Comanche raid in Texas history. It started in North Texas, proceeded all the way to the coast, a town called Linville, south of Victoria, uh, where that, and, and the Indians were, were killing and, and looting along the way, taking captives, they ended up in Linville on the coast where there were a bunch of warehouses with a bunch of goods that were being shipped back and forth. Uh, so they, they looted the war, warehouses, burned them, burned the town, uh, killed many of the citizens, and then proceeded to start back north. And this was uh, a large raid in number and in effect. Um, Caldwell was, despite being wounded, on the trail, and he's the one that determined where he thought they would cross the Guadalupe River and the best place to engage, which turned out to be uh, on a, at a place called Plum Creek. Uh, at Plum Creek, they did, in fact, uh, meet the returning uh, raiders, and Caldwell graciously surrendered his command of the volunteers and rangers to uh, the Texas Army General Felix Huston, uh, despite the men wanting Caldwell to lead them. Um, there's lots of different accounts of the Battle of Plum Creek. Um, if you average them all out, they're said to be maybe a thousand Indians and about 200 Texans. We'll never know exactly. Um, during the, the process of the battle, at one point, there was a very significant Comanche chief killed off his horse, and Caldwell recognized at that moment that that was the time to charge. And he yelled at General Houston, now's the time. Um, Caldwell was an experienced Indian fighter. Houston, Houston was not. And so uh, Houston wisely took his counsel, and Plum Creek turned into a running battle, but a total rout uh, for the Comanches. And, and the significance of that battle was really that it pushed what many describe as the Indian frontier further north and away from a lot of the settlements. So that was a very significant three-part exchange, Council House fight, uh, Linville raid, great, uh, often referred to as Great Comanche raid, and, Plum, and the Battle of Plum Creek. But Caldwell wasn't done. President Lamar uh, decided 
that Texas was entitled to a piece of at least, if not all, of the lucrative trading that went through Santa Fe, now New Mexico. Uh, Lamar uh, and, well, the Republic of Texas period claimed the area around Santa Fe and that part of New Mexico as part of the Republic of Texas due to the winning of independence at San Jacinto. In fact, we claimed at that time that the Republic of Texas extended into Colorado. Some of us still do. And uh, so Lamar's idea was they were going to mount a trade mission. So he gathered uh, 300, probably more than 300 men, 21 wagons. They leave from an area north of Austin, and they're going to travel all the way to Santa Fe. And the idea was going to be, at least in Lamar's mind, that once they arrived in Santa Fe, the citizens would welcome them, and they'd be so happy to be part of the Republic of Texas, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, well, one of the problems was that they picked a route that took them north from Waco um, up through the South Plains and the Llano Estacado. Well, that is a terrible idea. Um, and, and there's a reason the Goodnight Loving Trail did not go that way later in Texas history. Uh, there's no water. There's very little to eat. The water that is there is, is alkaline and bad. And so uh, it's a very, very dangerous pay, place to travel at the time. And in, in fact, the expedition stalled. They were starving to death. And uh, it was just not well, but not well done. But they sent a delegation on, a smaller delegation on to Santa Fe, expecting the great welcome. And what they got in, instead was armed resistance. Uh, finally, the main group caught up. Everybody was made a prisoner. They were marched 1,800 miles to Mexico City, It was, uh, and with many of them being killed along the way by Mexican troops. Uh, it was a total abject disaster. Um, the prisoners eventually uh, would be released, um, but that, that was the Santa Fe expedition was one of the great failures of the Republic of Texas. Caldwell, though, didn't have to march all the way to Mexico City. The reason is he got smallpox. So here's this guy who's been through all this stuff. He ends up catching smallpox, but not even smallpox could kill old Paint Caldwell. He survived uh, and would return to participate in more important events in Texas history. He was in San Antonio in 1842. Um, in several episodes of Wise About Texas, I've mentioned the invasions of 1842. The Mexican army invaded Texas twice, both of them fairly successful. Well, in September, a force under General Adrian Wool, Mexican General Adrian Wool, captured San Antonio. Um, coincidentally, that capture occurred on September 11th, 1842. Um, within 24 hours, Caldwell had raised 125 men to the cause from around Gonzales. He took his men to the Salado River outside of San Antonio, where the legendary Jack Hayes and his rangers were watching the city to see what General Wall and his troops were going to do. Wall, I mean, uh, excuse me, Hayes and uh, Caldwell decided what they would do is try to lure the Mexican army out to fight them on the ground, the higher ground that they had occupied. So uh, Jack Hayes and Ben McCullough took 38 men. And the reason they took 38 men was because out of the, the 200 or so horses they had, they only had 38 that were uh, good enough to accomplish this mission because the others were tired or sore or whatever. Um, of that force, Hayes and McCullough 
and six other men rode all the way into town, almost to the Alamo. And they expected 40 or 50 Mexican troops to follow them out of town. And that way they were going to lure them into a problem. Instead, several hundred cavalry started chasing them. So they tore, they tore out of town. They made it back to their lines, but now they had a, they faced a formation of, uh, about 600 Mexican cavalrymen, only 400 yards from where they were located. Um, wall marched up with 400 additional infantrymen. Um, Oh, incidentally, uh, Caldwell filed a report to the Congress. He said there were 40 Cherokees fighting with the Mexican army, just as an aside, um, given what I mentioned earlier. The only advantage that the Texans really had was that the Mexicans couldn't see the main body of the troops, so they weren't real sure how many were there or where they were. Um, as the Mexicans formed up and were about to advance, Caldwell reportedly said this to his men, quote, Boys, I've longed to see the day when I have a chance to fight these rascals ever since I spent some time in a Mexican prison. No, boys, the time has come, and I do not want you to shoot until you can see the whites of their eyes. If every one of you will pick your men and make a sure shot, we'll whip hell out of them before they know it. Close quote. So here comes the Mexican army uh, playing their music, marching toward the Texans. Um, and every time they did, following old paint's orders, it was deadly for the Mexican army. And so they had to retreat. And this happened several times. Um, at the end of the day, wall pulled back there were over a hundred Mexican soldiers dead and the total Texan losses were only one. Um, there's a great story about there's, this is a little aside, but there's a story from this battle that you can read about uh, Bigfoot Wallace, another legendary Texas Ranger. Apparently his pants were taken by, uh, somebody, I don't know who. And so he, he walked around until he found the biggest Mexican soldier he could find. He shot him so he could get his pants. And apparently that worked out uh, for big, Bigfoot Wallace. So shopping for clothes was a little bit different back in 1842. Um, so they, they uh, forced the army to retreat back into San Antonio, but of course it's not over yet. And so uh, now they know they're outnumbered, even though they killed over a hundred. Caldwell sends a letter out seeking reinforcements. And the interesting part about this is what he wrote. Now, remember, he's got about 200 men, uh, or 199, I guess, because he lost one. And here's what his letter said in part. Quote, The enemy are all around me on every side, but I fear them not. I will hold my position until I receive reinforcement. Come and help us. It is the most favorable opportunity I have seen. Now, you know Caldwell's a salesman if he's saying that. There are 1,100 of the enemy. And here's, listen to what he said. I can whip them on any ground without help, but I cannot take prisoners. Why don't you come? Close quote. That, my friends, is confidence. Well, reinforcements did show up, but Wall uh, decided that discretion was the better part of valor and retreated from San Antonio. Uh, the Texans chased them, um, but they never could. The conditions were not right. They never could catch them. And for that, actually, Caldwell was harshly criticized because the Mexicans did take prisoners uh, and take them down to Perote Prison. But um, Caldwell caught a lot of heat for that, but um, and which he accepted and, and didn't make any excuses or anything uh, except to explain that he didn't think it was the best, uh, that he couldn't pursue him. 
adequately. And uh, Wall, in the meantime, could not get back to Mexico fast enough. He didn't want to face troops under Caldwell's command. Well, that action uh, in 1842 would be Old Paint's last. He returned to his home. He died in December of that year, December of 1842. Um, We're not sure exactly what got him, but uh, one of the people that eulogized him at his funeral was named D.C. Van Derlip, and he said this about Caldwell's death, quote, the fatigue and anxiety of camp life predisposes the human system for the reception of the disease of which he dies, close quote. And after all that Caldwell had seen and done and endured in his 44 years, the deprivation of the Santa Fe expedition, the battle wounds, and uh, even smallpox, I'm sure that's true. And let me tell you something else that Van Derlip said at his funeral. And this is, this is how uh, they regarded Matthew Caldwell during his life. Quote, Our frontier has lost its most valiant defender and our country one of her truest patriots. He has ever been ready to sacrifice his interest and peril his life in our defense without the prospect of reward or even remuneration. You have looked upon scenes of sudden danger and alarm when the bravest among you have quailed and all wore the aspect of despair. You have at such times seen the commanding and majestic figure of Caldwell rising in the midst of his desponding countrymen and with a mind cool and determined, reproving the recreant, encouraging the timid, and counseling and directing the brave himself a host and a rallying point that can inspire a whole community with confidence and guide them to hope and success. His name and deeds will never perish, but will be remembered as long as his country has an existence or liberty a friend. A free people seldom forget the services of their humblest citizens, but their deeds are recorded and transmitted to posterity as a part of their country's history. Close quote. That's what you need to know about Matthew Old Paint Caldwell, a Texas Ranger and a Texas hero. Now we come to the part of the episode I call Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places that I mentioned in the episode. The first thing I want to mention is Caldwell, Texas. That's a town in Burleson County, just west of College Station, that is uh, named for Matthew Caldwell. They have a history museum in the courthouse where you can see uh, a receipt written by Caldwell for some provisions when he was quartermaster for the Army. And you might consider visiting Caldwell on the second Saturday in September because that's when they hold the Kalachi Festival. Um, They claim the title of Kalachi Capital of Texas due to the large Czech population in Caldwell. And I can tell you, if you uh, eat kolaches in Caldwell, of course, I understand for all my Czech friends listening, it's pronounced kolach, that uh, you will have a good time. So go visit Caldwell. They really love their history. Caldwell is buried in Gonzales in the Old Old City Cemetery, which is also called Gonzales Memorial Cemetery. It's on North College Street in Gonzales, and you'll find a marker honoring Old Paint Caldwell there. I'll take you to two places uh, related to the Comanche, the Council House fight and the Comanche raid and the Battle of Plum Creek. The first is the old Casa Reales, which is the Council House uh, in San Antonio. The marker, the house is no longer there. Uh, It's on the east side of the main plaza. There's a two-story brick building on the southeast corner of the main plaza, uh, east side of main plaza street. Um, 
in at the corner of West Market. And on the side facing West Market is the historical marker for the Casa Realis. And that was the location of the building in which the council house fight occurred. The historical marker for the Battle of Plum Creek is located in Lyons Park uh, in Lockhart, Texas. Uh, right 183 runs through Lockhart. Lyons Park is right on 183. Can't miss it. The actual battle began on an area called Comanche Flats. Now, remember, that's Caldwell knew where they were going to cross the river. So uh, that's, that's uh, I didn't, the marker says that was named Comanche Flats. It's about five miles from Lockhart. And then it turned into a running fight, uh, went through Lock, through Lockhart um, or that area. And uh, they had battles all the way to San Marcos and Kyle. But the historical marker for it is in kind of the center of the action would have been uh, in that Lockhart area. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Thanks for tuning in today. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. Uh, if you get a minute, um, follow us on Facebook, the Wise About Texas Facebook page. If you want to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas. So everybody go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.